You are listening to Confessions of a High School Bible Teacher. Hey everybody, this is Christopher Seals, and guess what? Across the table for me, after a long time... Is Wayne David Randolph. That is it. That is Wayne David Randolph. The I, prodigal has come I, home. I sing my song different. You do? Yeah. Picked up some new tunes along the way. What's up, dude? My blood pressure, because it's the beginning of the school Zing. year. Hey. Oh, yeah. It's true. I, I kind of ha- I had anxiety dreams last night. Um, my anxiety dream was... <laughs> I was pouring concrete for a customer, which I've never done, but I was pouring concrete for a customer and, um, I went back the next day and it wasn't hardened at all. Um, well it had hardened, but it was like Play-Doh and like, it was obviously my fault because the type of concrete I decided. And so like right before waking up, I was like frantically mixing up a new batch. Um, and then I threw white tint in the concrete for some reason, thinking maybe I could smooth it over and do like a float layer over the top and then... I started like grabbing the concrete and realized it was just like Play-Doh. And I was like, there's no way I could fix this. I'm just more excited that you have dreams about being a contractor or <laughs> like, it's, that's how, that's it. but that's how, uh, that's how, that's what happens when the week that school starts, huh? Yeah. That's, uh, the kind that's of how my body processes stress. Apparently I go uh, back to being a contractor. Uh, crazy. So nice. school started. Yeah. It's nice to have you back in the seat, Wayne. Thanks man. It's good to be back. The seat. Yeah. With your ice pack. Yeah, evidently stress manifests in my body by tensing up my muscles and pinching nerves. And yeah, I literally woke up a week ago and um, have been in writhing pain ever since. Hmm. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. Well, sounds like it's a good day for a podcast. Let's podcast. Hey, Wayne. Hey, Chris. Have you ever been in a fight? I have. How many? I've been in a handful of fights, Chris. <laughs> What's a, how many fit in the hand? Uh, if you had to quantify it. How about I'll, I'll say numbers and you say higher or lower. 27. Lower. Five. More. 17. Sure. Right around there. Yeah. Right I mean, around there. yeah okay. if we're, especially because we're, I mean, like, I mean, I'm 44 now, so it's not like a more recent fight. But yeah. Yeah. With, when I had teenage angst yeah. and hatred towards everybody and yeah. I fought uh, a lot. So in, in those fights, were did any of them, like, were any of them over, like, an idea? And then, like, you decided who was right because of who threw the best punches? Um, not, not so systematically like that. But <laughs> I, I think, like, the, the court of social, uh, you know, whatever, like, people vote at the end, you know, kind of by their oohs and ahs. Yes. <laughs> But uh, no, there was never a point where uh, where I got punched in the face and said, "Oh, you must be right." You, yeah, you win the argument. That's like my. That's probably my <laughs> yeah. favorite part about teenage fighting is that usually it's over a truth issue of some right. sort. Like <laughs> right. your mom is this, or I did or did not sleep with your girlfriend, Ooh. or um, and then then they fight. And then it's not like, oh, he. I guess he didn't sleep with her, right. or my mom isn't right. ugly afterwards. But no, it just escalates to something stupid, doesn't it? And someone's bloody afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it turns out that fighting doesn't solve truth issues. Um, <laughs> <laughs> newsflash for any of you out there. But um, we thought that what's interesting about modern society 
no. Let's take a step back. <laughs> What's interesting about humans um, is that even though it only takes um, a tiny little prefrontal cortex to make that sort of connection, um, that violence doesn't actually solve things, um, there is still this prevailing notion that mm. that is a weapon that we should use. Yeah. Um, or, I mean, that we yeah. call it a weapon at all, that violence is a tool to achieve to get stuff done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. To get your way or, yeah. And I think what's cool is, um, within Christianity, there is this, uh, there's this peasant rabbi from Nazareth. Um, <laughs> you may have heard, heard of him. him. <laughs> yeah. And he, uh, he seemed to have a different take on some of the violence stuff, um, about people who live by the sword dying by it. And we can quote all sorts of Jesus phrases, right? And those of you who like violence are probably going to have, Plenty your, of defenses. Your three or four yeah. um, versus loaded, locked and loaded, locked if you to will. Shoot, to shoot back. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but even just setting the stage before we even like throw out verses and even like that, even just setting the stage for Jesus, like mm-hmm. Jesus talking about violence in the first century Palestine, like it, it's a place of violence. It's yeah. a place of occupation. It's a place yeah. of, of people using whatever power they have. Yep. Um, not unlike today, right? Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't a peaceful time. Um, it wasn't, you know, he, he's not, <laughs> sometimes people like to write him off or, or us followers of, 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 of Jesus sometimes as just being idealistic and thinking that, you know, it's just the, that's just the easy thing and it's not realistic. Like right. now Jesus was speaking truths at a time, at a very, very violent time at a time when his people were getting jacked up. Right. Yep. And, Absolutely. um, so that, I think that those words we, we, I think we need to spend time with those words, yeah, absolutely. especially nowadays. And if you think about like, uh, so those of you who are kind of newer um, into, I guess, first century um, historical cultural context in Palestine, um, there were four main divisions among the Jews at the time. And th- now there were other divisions and subgroups. And um, But if you wanted to classify them in four major divisions, you have um, a group of people that you're probably familiar with called the Pharisees, right? It's one of the divisions, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they believed that through strict adherence to law, um, that eventually the Messiah would come as a, as a warring, conquering priest king um, and save them from the evil of the empire. But once they got their stuff in order. Yeah, exactly. Right? And, they, and they got that. They didn't just make that up. They got that from being teachers of the law. They look at their story of Israel and they see, hey, when we obey, seems like things go pretty good when we listen to our prophets posthumously. Exactly. <laughs> Usually things go bad for us. So and it, we find ourselves in this jacked up position again. Let's just obey. Let's do everything right. And then the rescuer will come. Right. Exactly. And, and during, like if you're reading through the text, then it obviously makes sense why they don't want to see Jesus eating dinner with the sinners and the prostitutes. Right. And because he, if you're a Pharisee, you're thinking Jesus is undermining this whole thing where, the bad guys will get their due justice. Um, And so I love that you're bringing that up too, because I think that's really important because I I think in Christian culture, the Pharisee, if you've grown up in this culture, you know, the Pharisee as the antagonist in the story. Mm -hmm. And so um, oftentimes we will do everything in our, in our, I don't know, subconscious to avoid associating with the antagonist. And I think that the Pharisee giving them some grace and recognizing if you have a whole group of people that are calling Jesus the Messiah, but they are convinced in their Messiah that the, that the, convincing their mind that the Messiah doesn't come until the sin's gone, then they are really doing what's right in their mind. They are, they are trying to do good. They're just really, really crazy fundamentalists with the text. Absolutely. 
Um, there's another group of people. Um, so, so you have the Pharisees who believe that God will come and in an act of violence um, will eliminate yeah. um, the enemies. There's another group that's very similar, which are the Essenes, and they are kind of like the... Um, they're like the ancient Amish. Um, yeah. They're the ones who, they, they believe the same thing about the Messiah coming to clean house, but they believe that society was too far gone to fix it. Um, so they moved out into these desert communities, yeah. which, I mean, thanks and, to them, we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Right, totally. So, and, and But their kind of mentality, right? Like I, the way I explained it in the classroom was like, the the disease of society is so bad we don't want that disease to infect us any longer right so we will withdraw exactly and the pharisees um, are still in the game trying to fix things but the essenes they're like it can't be fixed they yeah. just need to get out of here yeah um because eventually messiah will come and he'll clean house fire right. and brimstone and we don't want to be there when that happens exactly yeah um and then uh, another group of people so we've got the pharisees we've got the essenes the next group is um the sadducees and the herodians kind of held hands and this was this interesting holding of hands between the state mm. and the religious system yeah. um, that instead of wishing for the the empire to be eliminated you have this group of people who said well empire is here so let's hold hands with them and use the power use the violence that the empire brings to get good for ourselves Right. I think that we're going to come back to that group later in the talk, Chris. Yeah, I, think that that, I think that that's a current problem. Yeah. But what do I know? And, and then, so they still have this interesting relationship with violence, but instead of wanting to use that violence to get rid of the empire, they want to use that violence to sustain the empire. Right. Um, and then the last group of people, which is like the most on the nose as far as violence goes, is the And self. the one that my ninth grade boys go nuts over in the classroom yeah. when we <laughs> describe this group. It, this is the zealots and the Sakari. Or um, the dagger men. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Sakari is just um, the ancient way of saying the dagger men, and they would go into, uh, um, if, if you're a Sakari, you would go into a public place um, and and you would hide a dagger under your cloak. You'd find a, I mean, like an ancient Roman official, and you would and you would shank a fool. You would yeah, <laughs> you would stab a dude, um, and then hide the dagger in yeah. your cloak and walk away. Yeah. And by the time the guy hits the floor, you're gone. It's the yeah. the ancient Israelite ninja, yeah. basically kind of terrorism. And, yeah. Yep. Yep. And so and all it, those groups, right? All those groups had a relationship. Yep. With violence. Yeah, absolutely. In, in some way, yeah. And what, what's interesting is usually the Pharisees are pictured as the bad guys. Um, in the, <laughs> right. But realistically, they most closely aligned to Jesus. Like yeah. they wanted to do social reform and Jesus wanted to do social reform. They wanted sin to stop. So does Jesus. But yeah. they just have totally different ways totally of approaching it. Totally different ways, yeah. Um, and I think that one of the reasons probably that the Pharisees um, had issue, took issue with Jesus is not just the fact that he hung out with the sinners, um, but the fact that their expectation was for a Messiah that would come clean house. And right. so when you have this rabbi saying things like, love your enemies, um, bless those who curse you. If, if a Roman soldier compels you to <laughs> go a mile, you carry that pack yeah. two miles. Yeah. And, and a lot of this is like really cool, like subversive acts of nonviolent resistance. I feel like we've talked about this elsewhere. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, but nevertheless, it, it defies the way that the other four groups dealt with empire. They, Jesus didn't go along with the, the violence, nor yeah, did nobody he. Nobody got endorsed. Yeah. Right? Nobody got endorsed. Um, nobody's expectations were met. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Mackey, Dr. Tim Mackey, uh, the guy that does the Bible project videos yeah. that I am so thankful for in the classroom. Uh-huh. Um, he, when he speaks on, on this section in, in, in Matthew, where, where Jesus says to, to love your enemy, 
um, he says something that really, I think, caused me to pause. And, and I think it's I think it's something that we would want to even pause for a moment. Like when he says, love your enemy, like not only were those expectations not met, not you know what I mean? Like all those things that we're talking about, like nothing in human history had ever been said like that, at least recorded. Yeah. Um, just outright. You know what I mean? Like the, I'm going to go as far in today's episode to say that I think the crux of our religion, like I, I think like the foundation of our religion is tied and anchored to enemy love. Yeah. That when Jesus said those words, it totally changed it changed the game and you said the the crux of our faith which yeah. is means cross the cross ah. <laughs> um but like i mean think about that because all four of those groups they had their idea they had their justification for the use of violence or or not mm-hmm. and they had kind of their outcome and it was all challenged jesus says no like i'm asking you guys to totally flip this thing we're not get, right i mean it's a yep. totally totally new kind of system yeah um, I mean, it's, it's, we're talking about, you know, ethics of the kingdom now, when right. you say like, this is now, this is now a kingdom morality. This is not something that we see here on earth. Yeah. And which is why Jesus is, I, I think is why he's asking us to participate in it because we get to then usher in the kingdom, but right. maybe I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. Well, yeah. <laughs> and well, I think that some important, something important that would be, um, necessary for us to discuss is, um, within Christianity, uh, there, there are different camps that, yes, that sort are. of have different relationships with violence, um, and, and I think <laughs> that um, we we need to kind of like unpack these because yeah. no matter who you are, we realize that that violence occurs in the world, that evil exists, um, and that evil needs to be resisted. Yep. Um, However, like within within Christianity, there are different groups that would say, okay, it can be resisted in different ways. Um, now, um, what we're going to talk about here. Uh, if you haven't listened to the patriotism or nationalism, um, podcast, then you should probably go back to that one because, um, we're going to, cause it's step- good. Yeah. Well, first of all, good. and we're going to, we're going to take a step back and actually talk about this just in general terms, not like in a, like, should America do this type of yeah. terms, but just like Christians, to what extent can Christians participate, participate. in violence, cool. um, in acts of violence? Can I ask a question for the, we, we didn't get a chance to talk much before this. So, yeah, um, for the conversation, are we? Because one one of the one of the defense tools that I see a lot when it comes to this topic mm-hmm. is that people will often say um, things like the Sermon on the Mount is for your personal life, not your mm-hmm. social life, and so there is this um, parsing out, if you will, of yeah. of those two two spheres. There's also um, another defense is that the. If you're a dispensationalist, you right. would say that Jesus is preaching within the dispensation the dispensation of the of the law right um and so that that was just so it needs to be interpreted exactly and then we are in the dispensation of grace um well i don't know if i can use the term luckily but i'm gonna say luckily i'm not a dispensationalist yeah. chris <laughs> um but i i just i just don't I, I guess before we get started i'm sorry i just don't fully buy the personal and social yeah. um like that there's some sort of veil <laughs> between right. the two that um so as we're moving forward, I just want to make sure that even as you're listening, that you, maybe you guys think about that. Um, you might find yourself quick to say like, oh, that's, that's in my own personal life or, or my own private life. And I, I would challenge you to say that if you're following Jesus, that's your life. Yeah. And you know what? That's funny because... Uh, <laughs> Is that okay to say? Yeah, absolutely. In one of our, the recent podcasts where I interviewed um, Christine Iskander and John Bennett talking about literature and its function, mm. that was, it was like a 
post microphone conversation <laughs> we were having um, just about how difficult it is um, for us who for those of us who are interpreting the Bible. Um, we want to make sure that we're giving, doing justice to the text and right. interpreting it properly with its right genre and knowing what it meant in that ancient context. But there's also this weird balancing act of, okay, what was meant for that time in that culture and what yeah. is a universally applicable truth. And I yeah. think that a lot of the issues where Christians are divided, um, it's over that very battleground yeah. of, okay, was the women covering their head thing? Was that just an ancient thing? Or is that a timeless truth? Or women being able to speak up in church. Is that an ancient thing or a timeless truth? Slaves, ancient yeah, yeah, or timeless. Yeah, and so yeah. the same thing, like Jesus is speaking into a specific ancient context um, to specific people, but to what extent do we take these things yeah. and apply them universally? Yeah, right? where's the eternal truth in it? Exactly, yeah. yeah. Cool. So, so we're going to, so if you... Man, uh, teachers, all these disclaimers know, we have, huh? Yeah. But it's important, right? Especially yep. in a conversation that could be dividing for some. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Is it acceptable for Christians to participate in war? I think it is acceptable for Christians to participate in war, but the war environment could be very conforming, so they have to be careful about it. Um, when do you think it is okay, and when is it not okay? I think it's okay if they are very strong in their values and especially like sharing their beliefs with one another instead of just listening to what everyone else in the war environment is saying? Um, probably when, like, the war is, like, they're fighting for what they believe in, you know, like, like, spiritual warfare and stuff like that. Um, so, like, a normal, like, modern warfare with guns and tanks and stuff, do you think Christians should be involved in those or no? No, because, like, violence. Here's what I'd say. Um, I would think that you are a Christian before you are a uh, whatever country you're in. You're a Christian first, and God teaches us that uh, we should not participate in any violence like that. Um, but to me, it's it just depends on like circumstances. If it's self-defense uh, versus like like if your life is not in danger, I would say no. Um, you know. Um, so the, we're going to go uh, along a spectrum, um, and uh, this spectrum on one far end um, would be something called biblical activism, um, and on the other <laughs> far end, we would have something called pacifism. Mm. Um, and so that's the that's the spectrum. But if you can imagine with me uh, a spectrum, so on one far end you have pacifism, and the other far end you have biblical activism. Um, there's a there's another point called just war theory. And realistically, just war theory doesn't fit. I think the um, assumption is that just war lands in the middle of that spectrum. No, there's no way. But that. realistically, just war theory is like kissing pacifism. Uh -huh. um, it's which, just, it's, it, yeah, sorry. Which, yeah, if we're going to, if we're, <laughs> we'll unpack it. like, it, once we get to it, you'll understand why. But like just war theory is like right next to pacifism. Uh -huh. And biblical activism is on the far other end. Yeah. Um, and I think that. Want to unpack that one first? Or? Yeah, let's yeah. start with biblical activism. Yeah. Uh, let's go with that far extreme. So biblical activism would be the view um, that Christians, as people who are subject to their own nations or governmental state, are encouraged to engage in any 
violent act of Activity warfare. Of the state. Um, and it is sanctioned by God, and so therefore they should always engage. I, I'm going to be a little, a little ornery here and just chime in that um, usually this is where the opening to Romans 13 is um, is evoked. Right. Uh, this idea that the, that you know the the people in power and the authority has been given to them by God, and that you shouldn't go against it. Right. And so this takes a very um, I'm trying to say it as unbiased as possible. You don't have to be unbiased on that one. It's, it's, it I takes don't. a very literal and narrow view of one small portion of scripture, and um, I think tries to apply it to too broad of yeah. <laughs> so, social interactions. Yep. Is, that, is no. that fair? No, I, I think that is fair. Okay. Um, and, and I don't think, um, I know that there are people who do read scripture that way, but I, I don't think um, that they land, man, this is going to be probably one of the most judgmental things that I've said. Like they don't land very far within it. orthodoxy. Um, right. Yeah, that I Whether think, they know it or not. Yeah. I think yeah. it's bad interpretation. Yeah. And so it's not just bad interpretation of scripture, but it's also bad logic because if God thinks that there isn't a, like, not thinks, if God knows there's an objective right and wrong, um, that is impossible. Like, if we're talking about the war on Iraq in 2003, <laughs> right. it is impossible for God to endorse the side of the United States and anybody, the side of Iraq. Anybody. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. he he can't uh, endorse both sides, and biblical activism would say that he does, because yeah. the... Uh, because both the, sides have been ordained by God? Right, because the, uh, the Iraqis who were Christians, then they are on mandate by God to pick up arms and shoot Americans and the Americans who um, are subject to the American government are mandated by God to shoot Iraqis. And so that's, we can, yeah, that, that's a conundrum. Yeah. And that, that's a problem. Yeah. And, and we can, and I've, you know, I've definitely interacted with people who would try to like to make that work. Yeah. Right. And and yeah. you have, you end up having to play more kind of word games and wordsmithing right. to make that work. And, and, um, and I just often, don't buy it. Yeah, and oftentimes when speaking to people who are biblical activists, which I I don't know if I've ever, I don't know someone, if I've ever heard that term. Like someone yeah. use the term um, describing themselves, right? Exactly. I as think opposed to them saying like, it's usually no, I'm down. I'm down for war. Yeah, it's <laughs> usually someone who like ha, has kind of a narrow view of reality and what God is doing in the world. Uh, these oftentimes are the people who think that God is only present in doing things through their own nation. So yeah, um, a little bit more of the nationalist. Exactly. Yeah, and so lens. therefore clearly whoever they're shooting is bad right. um, because they're not part of the nation yeah. state. Um, yeah. So biblical activism, I don't think many of you who are listening to us are biblical activists. And if you are, then I would challenge you to broaden your perspective and remember that in any war, um, or I guess that across the globe, our brothers and sisters who are also Christians who have to make the same decision on whether to resist or engage in the activities of the state. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that's biblical activism. Yeah. Now what, before we get into just war, uh, well, I guess that's an assumption. Yeah. Um, what would you say, Chris, generally is the view held in, um, I don't know, kind of average church going Americans? Cause it, there seems to be a pro war, Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I, when we say pro war too, like, I, I don't, I, I don't really know anybody who's like, like thinks that they're Rambo and that we need to go out and like pro war. We need to go out and start wars. I'm just saying that like pro war, like they're, they're okay with it and they right. could participate and they would, yeah. Like, so I, I just feel like most, I feel like a lot of churches, a lot of church going Christians are totally on board with, with war. war. Yeah. I think. 
I don't have any data to yeah, point I mean, to. Yeah, clearly this yeah. is just anecdotally you know, from, from our, um, our lofty position of right. high school classrooms. Uh, what what I've realized <laughs> is that I, I think that um, a lot of people admire the bravery, the courage, and the loyalty of people who are willing to defend freedom. Totally. Um, and I think that also people who have a strong, I think people who have a, a strong love for America, which again is fine because yep. patriotism is okay. It's yeah, okay to love totally. your country. Um, I, the roots of our country start at the revolutionary war where we used Stop. violence to break Starts off in violence from another country, which I mean, that's our origin story. That's, that's, that's that is our origin. It's story. like Tiamat and Marduk. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the most nerdy. Sorry. Side Babylonian. Yeah, it's fine. Whatever. Um, but either way, like, yeah, our origin story starts in violence. And then, so that narrative I feel like has been perpetuated. It plays out. Yeah, that um, we uh, the way that we continue to protect the freedom that we fought for in the beginning is through more fighting. Yeah. Um, and uh, don't get me wrong, there have been people along the way who have wanted to take freedom away. Right. There totally. have been people who have tried to uh, assault the nation, um, whether like early on in the eighteen hundreds or um, even like thinking about the nine eleven attacks. Yeah. There, yeah. there are there are people who don't like America for. A number of different Any, reasons that are way that are way too complicated to talk about here. Yeah. But there's this understanding that because there are people who want to kill innocents, um, there is another group of people who's willing to stand in the way. Yeah. Um, and the idea of loyalty and bravery and courage, um, all of those things definitely do align with Christianity. Yeah. And so I and think the church can totally hop on board with it and say, yes, we affirm those things. Yeah. Um, Chris, this is actually what I was alluding to earlier when we talked about the Herodians and Sadducees yeah. is is um my concern my concern is when the christian um in society gets a little bit of power and maybe aligns itself with maybe those in power yeah. that we we can we begin compromising and justifying things that maybe the other um the other group that we're in bed with is doing yep yeah, is that too I, cryptic? I mean, I uh, that's pretty. How about I'll maybe I'll decode it a little yeah. and say that I think that we have, <laughs> I think that oftentimes we have trouble parsing out the difference between um, soldiers and the mission. Yeah. Um, just because we want to pray for the safety of the soldier um, does not mean <laughs> that we also want to pray for the success of the mission if right. the mission is unjust. Right. Um, and I, I think, love that you said that. I, I get told that I don't support the troops because I'm a pacifist. Hmm. And I mean, you've heard me say it, but yeah. I'm like, no, I pray for like no war. I, I, that's the best way to support the yeah. troops. I want them to live. Yeah. Right. I absolutely support the troops. Yeah. I remember a, a while <laughs> back um, when Ron Paul was still yeah. um, one of those guys yeah. um, in the political sphere and he kind of got hated on because he wanted to withdraw our, the United States international presence. Um, but one of his highest group of supporters were soldiers. Soldiers. Yeah. 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 We ain't trying to die. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. like, um, so. so all that to say, um, I, I think that it's really important to parse out, like, especially if we're messy. talking about what God wants, um, and what is good and what is beautiful and true. Um, what God wants is peace. Yeah. Um, and so it, it is totally possible to love and support people who are soldiers, yeah. um, but not endorse the mission. Yeah. Right. And especially because of when you are a soldier, you don't get to ask if the mission is just or not. Right. You just Gosh, do it. No, that's right. Um, and that's. I guess a, a place where like those of us who are Christians and like who maybe aren't in the military need to have great compassion because right. they, they're in a position where they have to obey. Listen um, to the authorities above yeah, them. Exactly. Romans 13, Chris. Yep. 
Thanks for quoting. <laughs> All right, I think I think First Peter says honor the emperor. Also, yeah. when we're at it. Um, so the the next step along the spectrum. Well, so between biblical activism and just war theory within Christianity, there's not a whole lot of like clearly defined lines, except for people. There might be people who are just war theorists who are just less adherent to just war theory. Yeah. Yeah, Like they, they will create provisions to get out of the, their own theory. And so the next place is just war theory, which, so I guess is, is the point between pacifism and biblical activism. But after we, I'll I'll read through um, some of these criteria for just war theory. And I'll have a question. Yeah. <laughs> you already probably know my question probably. at the end. Um, and I won't answer it. Because it's okay. the same question I ask my students. Yes. So um, there are many different versions of what these seven tenets of just war are. Um, and they're attributed to Augustine, but I've heard that it's really difficult to pin down if or where he said it. Um, but like in church tradition, these are kind of some of the, the main points. So the first thing is that a just war needs to be the last resort. Um, it means that every type of diplomacy, every type of other nonviolent means to solve the issue needs to be tried first and foremost. Step one. I have a Twitter. I have a Twitter joke, but I won't make it. That's okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> the next one is um, that the war needs to be waged by a legitimate authority, um, meaning that it actually the war, if it's going to be waged by someone, that it needs to be waged by. Um, a country in a way that is consistent with the ethics of that country. Um, so prior to the, for example, prior to the Patriot Act, um, after 9-11, um, the way that America would go to war um, would be by, is it a three-fourths or a two-thirds? I thought it was three-fourths. Three-fourths was... vote in Congress, in both houses, um, in order for the United States to take military action. Um, I'm pretty sure that since the Patriot Act, America has not officially declared war, but we still have troops deployed. But we're bombing some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we're... <laughs> Um, oh, yeah. So that's fun. Um, now, one might say that the Patriot Act changed what that legitimate authority is um, by passing a bill. So sure, yeah, that's, that. that's a good argument. Okay. Um, next, so last resort, legitimate authority. Um, next is that it has to be done with a quote unquote right intention. That the the intention of I the war. I wonder who the just war judges. Yes. I wonder who the person <laughs> who sits down prior to you dropping your first bomb. I'm going to ask you these questions. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the right intention. Intention. One of the main intentions that is brought up um, in just war theory is that it needs to be defending the innocents, um, that or defending the um, people who ought not to be hurt. Um, okay. So just war needs to be the last resort. It needs to be waged by a legitimate authority, legitimate and it has authority. to be for a good reason good to defend reasons. innocent people from being harmed. Okay. Um, next is there needs to be a reasonable chance of success, which I like the, that the pragmatist gets his point in here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> if you're going to fight a war and there's no chance of winning, don't pull the trigger, man. Oh, like, like, it's it. not, you yeah, shouldn't no do fatalism. it. Yes. No. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Which, I mean, that would rule out all, all sorts of form. Like, any suicide terrorism is... Not just war. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right? Because it would be like there has to be the yeah, hope of a, of a positive outcome. There has to be like a chance of success, of bringing peace about at, at the end of this thing. So that's fine. Oh, okay. Um, next is the, what kind of what we were alluding to. Not just that it has to succeed, but what success needs to mean is reestablish peace. Um, the goal of any war that mm-hmm. is just should be that at the end of this, we have peace again. 
um, that it's not to punish someone, that it's not to uh, make someone pay, but it's to bring about peace, um, which I, wow. I, I can see that there's um, you have some tension between peace and peace by way of war. It's such. <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah. Yeah. There's a Derek Webb line um, that says peace by way of war is like uh, purity, purity by, by way, way of fornication. fornication. Yeah, there it is. It's fun. Thanks, Derek Webb. Thank you, um, Derek Webb. So it has to be a last resort. Legitimate authority has to be for the right intentions. And you, you have better to be actually, able to win. You better be able to win. <laughs> and the winning must mean resulting peace. in peace. The and restoration also, of peace. Um, the, the proportion of injury that you bring on the enemy needs to only be enough to achieve the ends and no more um so meaning like using a proportionate means to get to the end so, so nagasaki that might be problematic hiroshima for that was that just was, theory, that yeah. was okay yep so um there needs to be proportional means and then last is um there there needs to be a way to discriminate between combatants and non-combatants yeah. that that innocence Innocence, shouldn't be able to hit, uh, but be hit by drones or um, weapons. All right, of... ready for my question? Go. <laughs> cool. Can you, listener? I won't just put it on you, Chris. Can you, listener? Because I'd, I'd love to know, and I mean this sincerely. Can you, listener, think of any war that fits this criteria that that matches all these criteria? And I really do mean that sincerely because yeah. I, I haven't found one. Yeah. Um, but what that does. What that does tell me is that these are really nice things on paper. Mm -hmm. I feel I actually feel a similar response to that of socialism. Hmm. It sounds really <laughs> good on paper, um, but yeah, good luck. Yeah, I, I think I think that one of the <laughs> is that too cynical? No, I I think that where um, so one of the things that people will often point to is World War Two. Um, that like usually if someone if you say what was the most recent just war they will say okay World War Two. Oh, um, it seems to meet some of those criteria. Legitimate authority. Yeah. Um, it did seem kind of like a last resort. There, that could be debated um, deeply. Um, there, there was a right intention. Mm -hmm. um, there was a reasonable chance of success. Mm -hmm. um, the goal was to reestablish peace. Um, proportional injury suffered. Um, the bombing of Dresden um, on both sides. The bombing, bombing of Dresden. The Blitzkrieg. Um, the the two atomic bombs. All of that. Um, kind of points to, okay, disproportionate. Um, and the uh, discrimination between combat combatants and non-combatants, again, I'd point to those same events um, where it's, it does seem to fall short. Um, now, one might then say, though, okay, like so that's once the war was waged. Um, so let's say they did it right. Would that war have been okay? Um, and I think that it's really hard for me in 2018 um, <laughs> right. to like That's a lot of pressure to put yeah, on you. to armchair quarterback. Quick, this Chris, thing go. Was it good past. or bad? <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I do know Thousands is that um, if it, the probably the most important criteria of just war theory is the last resort clause. Um, and I think that we as people, um, as humans are prone to quitting um, mm. And so last resort should mean last resort, mm. not actually, well, like, actually exhausted all, yeah, all like, means. We, we tried a lot, but it didn't yeah. work out. Um, it oh. should be last resort. I mean, if, even if that's you the think, kind of excuses we hear in the classroom. Yeah. I tried. I tried <laughs> and my printer just doesn't print. Yeah. Um, but I think that like, if 
like Hitler wouldn't have been able to gain power had it not been for the economic collapse that was a result of unjust treaty negotiations at the end of World War One, right? Um, so there, the, it wasn't the last resort. Um, no. Nevertheless, by the time it got to where it was, we live in a world that is broken and imperfect. And so by the time it got to where it was, we can't go back in the past and be like, let's renegotiate right. those right. accords. Um so then we just need to deal with the hand that we're given us. And so I can, I can honor and respect the, the difficulty of that decision of like, okay, how do we do this? And, and I would even say that like those people who are Christians who are connected to the armed forces, um, I, f- I would say that you probably have a, an obligation, like a moral responsibility to make sure that you understand what your role is in this yeah. um, because you could be one of the people who yeah, changed the especially, tide. Especially if you're an authority. Yeah. That saves thousands of innocent lives mm-hmm. um, by making the choice not to bomb the city yeah. um, or hit that house that probably is filled with civilians. Or take pictures with soldiers at Abu Ghraib. Abu Ghraib? Abu Ghraib? Yeah. Was that? I mean, like, yep. I remember one of my colleagues at my at the school I've at before um, telling me, hey, you know, without, without, Christian officers, you expect to see crap like that. You know, the hope is people with good moral compasses and this yep. and that would not allow those things to happen. And Absolutely. I, I, I hear it. I receive yeah. it and, for sure. And if you're thinking at this point, I know that in, in, originally I said this isn't just about America. And the reason that we're using these examples is because we're Americans, we're Americans. who yeah. care about the future. And I can use some Guatemalan examples. I just don't think any of us would get <laughs> it, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So if, if we're looking at this spectrum... Um, I think that a lot of like what happens with a lot of students is they, they see just war theory and they're like, dude, that's amazing. Right. That's airtight. And then you push the question to them. Um, when was the last just war? Um, and it, it gets, it gets sticky. And so I would like, which is all I did. Honestly, Chris, so I mean, just for, for the listener too, I, I, I joined the military in my youth. I, I actually was kicked out for some other reasons that. I don't know if we've already talked about it or you can ask on another podcast, but yeah. I, I, I have friends in the military and this and that. I, I, I very much was on board with the just war yeah. theory for a while until I sat with the words and asked questions and realized that it did not, it did not hold up. And so um, as we're moving into this next, you yeah. know, um, stop on the, the spectrum, I think for me, the compromise that I would have to make to stop on any of these stops. The most justified compromise for me is on, is in the pacifism that I have to compromise. Maybe some of my, maybe my individual rights, or I have to compromise some of my built in (laughs) defense mechanisms, but it seems like that's a compromise towards the kingdom. Whereas I feel like these other ones are compromises against the kingdom. Yeah. It's probably the simplest I've ever put it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think, um, (laughs) So wh- as far as pacifism, what I'll, what we'll probably do is I'll, um, I'll let you kind of explain the pacifist position, mm-hmm. which is the last point. Um, and then, because I have a lot of tension between just war and pacifism for me, I'm like, okay, well I'll just land on just war because if we actually adhere to it, I'll never endorse any wars and I, I will be a pragmatic pacifist. Um, it makes, that, that seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but nevertheless, like taking that last step toward pacifism, um, could you explain what that is? And then like, I'll ask, I'll ask yeah, the from, typical questions that you get yeah, so that like people yeah. can hear the answers. Yeah. And I, and I'll, I'll also do not pretend to be, um, um, 
like super knowledgeable on all things pacifism. I mean, I can tell you what it kind of means to me as well, but mm. from what I understand about pacifism um, and the traditions in the church is, um, I'm, and I'm going to use the term we, cause uh, unashamedly I find myself wanting to be in this camp yeah. and, and wanting cause it's yeah. hard. Yeah. Um, but uh, do not believe that violence is an option um, that, um, violence to, um, to get my way or to, to assert power over somebody else, um, where it gets sticky is where you get into self-defense. I know that mm-hmm. you and I've had some, yeah. some fun talks over that one. Um, but ba- basically, uh, I guess that's kind of in, in a nutshell, it's this idea that, um, I, I think I heard one of the people from the Anabaptist movement say, um, when Jesus disarmed, Peter, he disarmed all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually, might have been Shane Claiborne, but he's kind of he's a part of the Anabaptist movement. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but and I, I think so. That's just kind of it. It's just this early tradition of like um, really, really. Um, I, I don't think at the expense of other key verses, but really taking to heart this idea of loving your enemy and praying for those who persecute you, and um, recognizing that when we when we suffer. Um, that there's something there's something that happens um, inside of us mm-hmm. um, that draws us closer to Jesus, and there's also this external thing that happens that when we suffer and other people have an opportunity to see it, um, it kind of goes into the, the the loyalty and courage thing that we were talking about with soldiers. That when people see us suffer and are loyal to Christ and have the courage um, to stand up for Christ, um, that 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 seems to be um, pretty impactful as well. Um, and it doesn't have to come at the expense of, of one more person getting hurt, but the, the not payoff, but the, <laughs> the, the trade-off, I guess you'd say is, is that, yeah, it, it means probably that I am inviting violence on my own self, mm. um, because I, in resisting, that means I will put myself in a position or I will find myself in a position where potentially I am being threatened physically. And we'll have to see if I actually believe this or not, whether yeah. or not I will participate. But um, Can I be the student now? Oh, yeah. Mr. Randolph. Come uh, on. So you're just saying we need to lay down and take it? Yeah, Jesus wants us to be doormats. <laughs> um, no, no, because that doesn't... I, th- I think uh, G- Jesus is, is always giving us ways to look for the kingdom, to see the kingdom, and to participate in the kingdom. And um, to lay down and just take it um, would be uh, kind of a seem to be like an act of um, condoning someone else's behavior. Um, but drawing attention to it while someone is attacking you. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it kind of it gets a little murky and situational at that point. Um, but in a. I don't know, I'll go back and I'll try to be more simple. No. <laughs> Awesome. No, Jesus does not want you to be a doormat. When he says turn the other cheek, he's not just saying just become a punching bag. There, there's something far deeper going on in the human psyche at a social level, at a spiritual level. And yes, and and in modern times, people like MLK um, have shown us that it is possible. And it was not without any um, naysayers or haters on his part either. Okay, so uh, Mr. Randolph, if I'm we... Di- I'm digging that word in the Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> if we 
just lay, if we just aren't violent, won't we all? Wouldn't we all be speaking German because the Germans would have won World War Two? Sure. Crickets. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I don't pretend to know what all the you know the steps are. Um, I do know that I'm crazy enough to believe that. Um, I, that God put on flesh and that he came and taught us and he taught us that this is seems to be the only way to break this crazy, stupid cycle that we've been doing for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years on this planet is that if we do not participate in these things, if we learn to have reconciliation, um, if you take like something like MLK says, where he says the surest way to get rid of an enemy is to make him a friend. Um, if, if we start thinking more creatively like that, uh, I don't know. Then you don't have to worry about whether or not you're all going to be speaking German. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you wanted to add to your repertoire of being able to talk about that, um, in during World War II, um, Denmark, they were like, there's no way we can fight the Germans. Um, and so what Danish citizens decided to do um, was they decided to uh, um, nonviolently resist the Nazis, especially once they started wanting to cart off the Jews into concentration camps. Um, and what ended up happening is that the Nazis decided to just not because it was too much trouble. Yeah, there you go. And you can't like you can't open fire like I mean, you can, um, but they wouldn't just open fire on crowds because they didn't want to yeah. let their Jews be taken away yeah. um, to be killed and put in concentration camps. And so you have Danish Christians standing up for the the well-being of Jewish citizens because it. they cared about them and they did it nonviolently and the Nazis were like too much trouble. I just yeah, won't do it. I love it. it. It makes me think a little bit of some of the images that came out of the civil rights movements hmm. and just, I mean, just for, for Martin Luther King Jr. to, and, and those groups of people to just sit there and to take it when the hoses are coming on them, when they take it, when the dogs are being sicked on them and to see that they are, they're not, they're not attacking back. They're not resisting. They're just, they said, we're, we're going to, we're going to love, we're going to love, we're going to love. And those images came out and they went worldwide and they jacked people up. Like yeah. the, they did not look like the aggressors. They did not. I mean, if anybody looked like the animal <laughs> they were being called, it was the aggressors. Right. And right. so, yeah, I, again, I don't, I don't pretend to know like the formula, the magic formula. I just can't get, I, I can't. I can't find a loophole in scripture for me personally that says I can, I can choose in some situations to act violently. Um, I, I don't see it. Okay. So there's, does that, does that, does yep. that help? Absolutely. The and big, the bigger things. I mean, I don't know. I, I just come back to the, like, well, just choose love in the situation. And I know that yeah. sounds like all hippie and idealistic, yeah. but. And I think the, like the weird, like the gray area, the difficult part for me is the, the situation that most of us probably won't actually encounter in life is the, the person who is like an actual psychopath or sociopath who wants to harm people. Um, do you and have usually the right? say something like our wives or our children? Yeah. And do you have the, like, as a Christian, are you able to use violence to take down the threat? Um, and I think the first thing to recognize <laughs> so is, hard, isn't yeah, it? I think I the first this. thing to recognize, um, and well, first of all, before you even get into this, I think that, <laughs> wrestling with this in front of students 
is oh, healthy. Like, so healthy. Because I think it shows them that like, no, this is this is not like an easy it's issue. It's worth wrestling over. Yeah, there's not right? like a Sunday school answer to this. Don't one. just let them and, and really don't just let TV. Don't just let a movie that shows that some people are BA when they go to war. Like don't right. don't let them give you the narration. Like you you decide. Yeah. Because it's a scenario you present yourself and thank you for saying it probably won't happen. Right. But the world is random. <laughs> yeah. And so it and could. And there are psychopaths and sociopaths. It could. And I, we all have stories about someone we know. So, so, right. So. In that situation. So in that situation. I, I think that that's where I like have the biggest tension because I'm like, okay, like me not resisting them won't make them feel bad. Um, and it won't make. Right. It's not going to keep burning coals on them. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's not going to make society be like. Um, any more condemning of the sociopath or psychopath than it already is um, because it's this aberrant case of one crazy person who has no ability to empathize. And so I, I think that in that case, um, this is where I guess the, like the just war theory, because it's not war. First of all, like, no, I, yeah, we're, we're, we're already in a murky area because right. now we are in the yeah. one-on-one. Yep. And, and in that one-on-one space, I, I do th- still think Jesus's words apply. Um, Absolutely. And uh, in that space, I would say like, okay, well, if even if we do apply the just war theory rules, then it would mean like your goal in this situation is not to take that person's life. It's not to torture them or make them suffer, but it's to, I guess, to hopefully bring about peace by using the right amount of force to neutralize the threat. Um, Whereas I I think that a lot, like, even if I admit to my own like darkness in me, like there's a part (laughs) of us as humans no, I'm not going to put this on you guys. Um, <laughs> there's a part of me <laughs> that okay. is like, no, I would like, like sometimes I'll like fantasize about like defending my family yeah, or yeah. Um, snapping a dude's neck. Yeah. Or yep. doing these things. And I'm like, but realizing that like, that's a fantasy that doesn't, that doesn't resonate with the kingdom. Snapping a dude's neck um, is not okay. Um, especially if the dude can be neutralized in yeah. some other way. And now, yeah. like, this is where I love these hypothetical situations because yeah. they get into the place, <laughs> but the only way you could right. stop him right. was by putting a bullet in his head. Yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a really, like, yeah. perfect storm. How dare you put yourself in a situation <laughs> with, so, with such limited options? And, and for that one dude that or girl that is in that situation where the only it's way funny. to neutralize this threat is um, to other innocent people is by putting a bullet in their head. Yeah. Well, one... That's You're, crazy that you got yourself in that situation. You're hanging around not, weird people. <laughs> not that you got yourself, because it's not your fault. But I'm just saying, like, that's what you're like one in a billion. Um, and I want to hear your story. Yeah. Um, but, but for the rest of us. But for the rest of us, I, I remember reading Walter Wink's The Power That Be. Powers That Be. So good. Um, and in it, uh, there's, a, there's a story of this one lady who, uh, there was a guy who broke in. Um, into her house and he she woke up and he was in her bedroom like standing over her and then she like calmly like she could have like reached for something to try to hit him or fight him but she knew like there's no way i could wrestle this guy to the ground and so she says how'd you get in um and then like he was kind of taken aback and so he answered her question like i got in through the sliding glass door um downstairs and she's like, so what are you wanting? Um, and then he was like, I was just going to steal your things. <laughs> I was going to take your TV and I was going to. And then uh, she was like, well, why, why do you want that stuff? Like, what do you mm. need? Um, and by the end of the conversation with Treated this guy. like a human. <laughs> yeah. By the end of the conversation, like he, she talks him into receiving her help. Um, yeah. the, like financial help to help him get out of that situation. Um, and. See, and it's, it's. St- it, those are the stories. I, yeah. And I, so I think 
I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because I think I think that the right step is to choose to follow Jesus's advice. Yeah, I think that's the right step in these situations. How it's going to play out, what it's going to look like. I, I think you're inviting you're inviting the the kingdom to creatively manifest. Yeah. Uh, in your situation, right? When you when you choose to do it a little bit different, when I choose not to grab the the gun or whatever, um, we literally in our church community, um, we just had a friend who received a call that the cops were all over her house because somebody had broke into her house, a meth addict, and when he was inside of her house, he thought he saw a dead body, and so then he called the cops, and so our friend Cat, um, she. Yeah, she's a Christ follower. So she's like tripping out and wants to go and hang out with this guy. And so she goes and visits him. Like she gets home and he's already like gone. But she like has already gone to visit him in jail multiple times Mm. to see what does he need. And same kind of thing, just empathetically like, wow, you had a really low point, dude. You you were broken in my house. Like, how can I help? And so I, I, I think when we will allow ourselves to entertain the idea of loving our enemy, what, what does that look like? Yeah. And um, ask for inspiration yep. by the Holy Spirit <laughs> to creatively give you ways to love your enemy in situations. Um, Chris, in, in the scenario where someone's hurting my wife or my kid, um, I'm a violent person. I, I love pacifism. I'm also an idealist. Um, I, I, I've participated in enough destruction that I... I see the value in restoration yeah. and I, I, I'm a willing participant in putting this thing back together. Um, however, I still have these, these things inside of me. Yeah. And so, and no, and no sort of condemnation statement. And if I, if, if I, if someone says that they would knock somebody out, like there's no condemnation in that. Like, yeah. it's not like, Oh, now you're going to hell or yeah. like, no. And, and to be honest, I don't know if I'm a full-on pacifist because it seems that pacifism is no violence at all, and mm. I'm I'm still down to probably knock somebody out. Yeah, and and I don't and I don't say yeah. that. I think in my youth I said that with some arrogance and yeah. probably a little testy. But um, now you know, hopefully, I say it as someone who would count all the costs and know how much it hurts and yep. how much energy I actually have. And you know what I mean? But like, but like death, I, I just don't. For me, that's the bigger, that's the bigger right. issue. When, when we talk about pacifism, what I'm, what, what I'm really talking about is whether or not I can actively participate in the taking of another human being's life. Right. Whether or not a, a panel of, of jurors has deemed that person innocent or guilty. I don't yeah. know, as a follower of Christ, if I can condemn somebody else. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my bigger issue. Right. And, and two things. But we can of, get down with people, Chris. Yeah. We can knock fools out. <laughs> and so that's what I was going to say. So two <laughs> things that kind of come to my mind is, first of all, like acknowledging the personal journey there. Um, because like for me, like I've spent most of my night life, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of wired to just be a doormat. Like I just do what people want. You kind of like secretly wish that you've had some like good brawls. Yeah. Like I've never, I've never been in a fight. I've always been able to like talk myself out of them or like just ran away. Like you ever wish like you had one of those scars, Chris, that when people asked you about, you're like, Oh, let me tell you. Yeah. Kind of (laughs) Let me tell you how I got that. (laughs) And so there's this like part of me that like, because I know that my knee jerk, response or my automatic reaction is going to be not doing anything. Um, there's a part of me that's like, I need intellectual, an intellectual basis to say that <laughs> like, no, I can knock a dude out eventually. Yeah. Like if the situations are right. 
Um, is it a permission thing? Like, do you need permission? I feel like, yeah, I need permission. Otherwise <laughs> yeah. I won't do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Whereas yeah. like for some people, like the permission needs to be taken away because even without the permission, you're going to do it. Right. Um, yeah. and so I think acknowledging the personal journey is really important there. And then the other thing I would say is really important with pacifism is realizing that pacifism is a really bad name um, because a lot of the most famous pacifists have been very active. And so pacifism <laughs> yeah. is not like a, a, you shouldn't do anything thing, but it's, it's a commitment to nonviolence. In yeah. your activism, yeah, and um, I think I think that what I've heard when I hear preachers like handle that in a pretty healthy way, um, they'll go to the Beatitudes where Jesus says like, "Blessed are the peacemakers, yeah. right? For they will be called sons of God." Right, um, like peacemaking, like that's 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 a do, that's a do phrase, <laughs> that's a, that's a verb, right? Yeah. That's an yeah. action oriented. So there it is, and I think that when um, thinking of our young people, it's so important. Um, one, um, like if you. If we teach biblical activism, which I don't think any of you out there are teaching biblical activism, please don't. If you are, <laughs> <laughs> what, what you're doing is you're you're putting uh, you're putting weapons in the hands of young people, saying, as long as someone says it's okay, you should go ahead and beat yeah. people up. And you're, if we're being honest, you're making your country your god. Yeah, um, and then. Uh, with with just war theory and uh, pacifism, I think if you're going to teach just war theory, then teach it right. Um, and don't add like I, I remember reading one book that said that preemptive strikes are part of just war theory. And I'm like, well, that seems like a strange addendum um, <laughs> to just war theory, um, because like. If you're an open theist, you, then like no one knows who's what's going to happen in the future, and so for you to be like, I know they're right, going to hurt right, people, right, right, right. Um, so that's silly. Um, but so if you're going to teach just war theory, teach it right. Um, and, teach it curiously too, right? Yeah. Like, like ask those questions. Yeah, yeah. Don't and, don't be afraid to ask questions of it. There's not a. It's not perfect, <laughs> right? And whether you're you're on the pacifist side or on the just war side, like a, acknowledging student individualized journey. To be able to say, hey, where is this student at? What do they need to hear? What's the thing that's going to push them to live more like Christ? Hmm. If they're the doormat kid who never does anything and never speaks up, then maybe you need to push them and say, there, there are things worth standing yeah, up for. find your voice. Yeah, find your voice and stand up for things yeah. and be more active. And if there's that kid that never stops swinging, then tell that kid, hey, man, um, our, our Lord died on a cross um, at the hands of the empire. Maybe you need mm. to practice that a little bit mm. more. Um, so acknowledging that personal story is going to be so vital in teaching this because it, it, it's one thing to talk about this in a, a U.S. history class or a world right. history class and talk about like war theory and Machiavelli and all of this stuff. But right. then it's another different thing. court cases. Yeah. yeah. But then it's another thing when these ethics trickle down into the practical living of everyday life of our kids who mm. start fights because they believe it's right. Mm. Um, and so those of you who are out there, you Bible teachers, you mentors, you youth pastors, when you talk about the state and when you talk about war and when you talk about these different theories of pacifism or just war or whatever, um, do your best to teach in a way that actually pushes kids to look more and more like Christ. Amen. Peace. Peace. Peace.